Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, welcome again to Bridge Church. I am Rasul Berry. I'm the teaching pastor and online pastor since uh, the COVID crisis has hit as well. And, And we are grateful that you're here. We've been praying for you. We've been grieving with uh, many of us. This has been a tough season of loss of different sorts. And uh, we have had the opportunity to pray with folks and and also join with them uh, through the Be the Bridge uh, just campaign to make sure that we are together in walking through this season. And, and we want to encourage you that, uh, to know that we're here as pastors. If you just shoot us an email or a message or whatever the need might be, spiritual, emotional, financial, we want to be of support because we've all been impacted in ways big and small in this season. So we hope you're doing well. And, um, you know, it's a time when a lot of us have been spending a lot of time at home watching shows, right? And it's interesting because I think there's something about the the concentrated amount of time that we have to watch that you start to kind of see what kind of person you are, like what is the stuff that you really enjoy? Uh, For me, it's been historical biographies. I like to dig, like dig deep into the perspective of people from a long time ago. And, and this week, I have been reading about and, and, and learning about some iconic people who have a, sim, a similar challenge that we're going to talk about here. The first, her name was Dorothy Dandridge. She was born in 1922, and she's noteworthy because she was the first black woman to win an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress for her performance in the 1954 film Carmen Jones. Now, she didn't win the award, but she was nominated, and it was a huge uh, trailblazing moment. She was considered at the time one of the most strikingly beautiful and charismatic stars to ever grace Hollywood, and she broke down many barriers by even being the first African-American woman considered a leading lady. You know, there was a scene, uh, Holly Berry played her um, in, a, in a biopic, and there's a scene in which her second husband, when he first starts to approach him, there's this guy, Harold Nicholas, who was this incredible dancer, one of the Nicholas brothers, and he, he asked her out, and, and she said yes immediately, and he, and he said, how is it that no one his, that you're available, that no one else has asked you for a date. And she said, well, it's because everybody else thinks that I'm already on a date. Tragically, in spite of her status as can just considered incredibly beautiful and incredibly successful, she suffered from deep insecurities in her life. She would end up uh, dying prematurely at the age of 42 uh, of, a, of a drug and alcohol overdose. In spite of the glamour, in spite of the appearance, there was just deep insecurity with her. Another person I was reading about um, was considered the most dominant athlete, athlete period in the 20th century. Uh, imagine if Shaquille O'Neal was, you know, who's like 7'1", 7'2", 
could run like Usain Bolt, could, was a competitive collegiate high jumper, and a top-notch basketball player. That's what you would have in Wilt Chamberlain. You see, Wilt Chamberlain, when he played, he, by the time he was finished, he had scored the most points ever, the most rebounds ever, and at one point scored 100 points in a game, something that has never been done since. Did that against the New York Knicks. Just had to add that, you know. <laughs> but even in spite of his accolades, he was a person who struggled with deep insecurity because everywhere he went, people looked at him and the nickname they gave him was Goliath, a nickname that he hated. And he had this weight and this pressure of his own insecurity, so much so that he would later brag about how many women that he would sleep with just to try to prove something to people. You see, we all deal with insecurities. And there's oftentimes the wrong kind of validation that we look for in order to build ourselves up. You ever notice that when we feel insecure, we attract people who also feed into our insecurities? Like people like, who tend to uh, help us with our self-sabotage, right? Like it could be, you know, a woman who gets bored with a good guy because he's treating her too well and she's so accustomed to being treated like crap. Or it could be people who accept dysfunctional relationships because they are insecure and seeking the wrong kind of validation. And it becomes this self-fulfilling cycle of insecurity. Well, today we're going to talk about and explore the right kind of validation. What does it look like to experience the right kind? There's the wrong kind that, that we can see all around us and that even the most successful people experience, but there's also a right kind as well. Because many of us, we, we struggle with the wrong kind and it's kind of like going to a fun house uh, with the distorted mirrors. You know, you know those wavy mirrors that you come in and it looks like you got a super big head and a super small body and, and it's a distorted version of who we are. And oftentimes that is how we see ourselves and how we even think God sees us. And, and for, whoever, for whoever it was, whether it was career or social status, in many ways, this current pandemic and the lockdowns that we've experienced have kind of shattered this distorted mirror and kind of has many of us wondering, well, who am I really? And, and what is my validation really coming from since it's not coming from the things that they, it used to? And in John chapter 5, we find Jesus in a similar encounter, a similar conflict where people are also challenging his identity and, and actually trying to be the people that determine his validation. You see, his legitimacy was challenged because he had healed the man on the Sabbath. And so they accused him of breaking the law and challenged him as being a sinner and a lawbreaker. So the miracle, which should have been a, a moment of great rejoicing and excitement, turns into a court case and a trial in which Jesus calls onto the stand witnesses as the basis of his true identity, that he is more than just a man, that he is the son of God. Now, the interesting thing is that these witnesses are also the only basis for a true, healthy identity and the right validation for us as well. So we're going to take a page out of Jesus's book for the next few minutes and uh, look at this. Is that all right? So the first thing we look at is verse 30. In verse 30, it says, he, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. 
As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not only my will, excuse me, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears witness about me is true. So Jesus is saying, look, First of all, even a key part of my identity is that I do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my will, but who he who sent me. Well, who sent him? Well, he clarifies that in verse 37. If you skip down a few verses, the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Jesus is saying, I don't need your validation about my identity because I know who I am already with my father in heaven. Because I know who I am in God, I don't need you to co-sign on who I am. And when he talks about bearing witness, this isn't just some kind of vague, mystical thing. He's actually talking about a specific moment. If we go over to Matthew 3, verse 21 and 22, uh, when Jesus is being baptized, look at what it says. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This moment is fascinating because you see in it, Jesus hadn't done anything yet. His ministry hadn't started. He hadn't even gone into the wilderness. He hadn't done any miracles. And God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The reason why he wasn't stressing about what the Pharisees were saying about him is because, you see, when you know who you are, you don't need someone else to tell you. <laughs> Let me say that again. You might not. When you know who you are, you don't need someone else to tell you who you are because you already got that. See, the right kind of validation centers on our need for approval from God. Jesus hadn't done anything, and see, but yet because God's validation is the opposite of the world's, it's based on who we are in him, not what we do for him. That's the foundation. That's the basis. That is why Jesus was able to have confidence in his mission, confidence in his plan, because God validates his children, not because of what they can do, but because of who they are. Is that a relationship? Is that a foundation that on which you draw validation, on which you draw your identity? Now, Having called his father to the stand, Jesus now calls his next witness for validation. Verse 33, if you scroll back up a little few verses, Jesus says, you sent, John, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. And then he clarifies, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, this is fascinating, and it can almost even seem contradictory. Like, wait a minute, you just said that you called God the Father as a witness, and, and that's fine, but, but why is John even necessary and relevant? And this is maybe particularly confusing for us because, you know, we kind of look at ourselves, and the common narrative that we're often told is, 
I can just validate myself. I don't need nobody to validate me. But the reality and the truth is as human beings, we have no ability to only validate ourselves. It's impossible. The very idea of a private, self-given inner validation is an illusion because we are fundamentally social creatures. We're made in the image of God, right? God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So even God himself is a community. And so as people made in God's image, we also are made for a community. And even if we tell ourselves that we are validating ourselves, the reality is we are socializing ourselves into a new community of people whose affirmation that we want and appreciate. I, I, I prove it to you. I prove it to you. All right. Here's, you ever notice that nonconformists tend to all look alike? Like you got a folks like you got like your goth, your goth community, right? You know, the folks that wear like the all black and the black lipstick and all this. But you can tell that they're goth because they all look alike. You know, you got the hotel brother, the sister down the street, and it's like, okay, you're a nonconformist. I get it because you conform to a certain image and version of what somebody else is already saying is what a nonconformist looks like. So, and, and why is that? Because we all have this internal desire for this sense of validation. And so the issue isn't not being validated by anybody, it's who are you being validated by and the right kind of person. You see, John the Baptist fit the criteria because God had selected him and he had lived out the truths of the scripture. He had lived out what it meant to have a holy and righteous character. So the question is, who are you seeking your validation from? Not if I'm going to seek it. And, and part of the reason why it's so valuable is because oftentimes people can see things in ourselves that we can't see. I remember I was reading uh, Lecrae's autobiography, Lecrae, uh, the, the rapper who, you know, talks about how he came to faith and, um, and started being involved in a Bible study uh, in, in college. And during that time, they were just kind of playing around in a Bible study and he was like, they were like freestyling. And in the midst of that, they were like, yo, you're actually like really good. Like you should do this. And it wasn't something that he necessarily was thinking that he could do in this newfound faith, but because of what other people saw and said, next thing you know, he's a couple Grammys later, you know, a, a, a hip hop star because somebody else saw things in him. So it's important to recognize and receive validation from the right kind of people and healthy and godly community offers that. And this is why we emphasize online worship services so much so that you can be kind of engage and connect with the people of God. This is why we emphasize online groups in the community of being around other believers because it helps shape who we are. But to accept ourselves and overcome insecurity, we need to stop caring too much about each other and start caring for each other. Not about what people think, but for each other. And when we do that, we start to see true transformation. So like Jesus, we should value and embrace the validation of godly community. So then he calls his next witness to the stand, his actions. In verse 36, we see, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. <laughs> you see what Jesus is doing here? 
Jesus pulls out the receipts. He says, check the record. I just healed somebody who had been paralyzed for 38 years. I am about to feed a bunch of people with, uh, in a miraculous way. I have given sight to the blind. When you look at the receipts, you should be able to therefore see that is the validation for my identity. That's why John, throughout the Gospel of John, calls them signs. Not just miracles, but signs, because signs point to something. Jesus is saying, my works point to the validation of who I am. Many of us need to pull out some of those receipts right now of what Jesus has done in your life. We're dealing with a very difficult time in which it's dark and, and, and it can even feel like, God, how can you still be around in the midst of such calamity and chaos? And someone once told me, do not question in the dark, which you heard clearly in the light. You see, this is not the time to start to jettison and throw away faith. This is the time to lean into that faith and all of a sudden to pull out the receipts of what God has already done in your life. Let me help you. See, there were times before where things seemed to be difficult. Things seemed to be uh, coming to a head and being conflict and you were stuck. And you can think about how God took you out of that. Not only did he take you out and deliver you, but use those moments to build in you the type of character that you would need for the next season. Maybe God is doing that. Maybe God is still working behind the scenes and you, who you're going to be on the other side of this crisis is so much different than who you are right now. Maybe it's time to see the validation based on what Jesus has already done. You see, and the same is true for us. Our works don't justify us, but they do validate us. They do show ourselves and others who we're really about. This is why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. It reminds me of that Brownstone song. Some of y'all don't know nothing about that, you know, but I'm a little old school with it, you know, like late 90s, early 2000s. Brownstone said, if you love me, say it. If you trust me, do it. If you need me, prove it. You see, actions speak louder than words. And that's an aspect of our validation. Then Jesus calls the last and for our times, probably one of the most important witnesses to the stand. We see this in verse 39. In verse 39, we read, Jesus say, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is probably one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible to me. And I think if you see what I'm seeing in it, it will be for you as well. Jesus is saying, he's commending them on one end. He says, look, you searching the scriptures to find eternal life, but somehow in your process of searching the scriptures that bear witness about who I am, you refuse to come to me based on the very scripture that you're reading. You're rejecting me based on your misinterpretation of what the text says. You see, the Pharisees were Bible scholars who oftentimes would have entire books of the Bible committed to memory. Now, I don't know about you, but I get convicted that even during quarantine, I'm struggling to read my Bible every day. They got like Deuteronomy memorized. 
but they knew the scripture, but they used the word to reject the word. So they really didn't understand what they were reading. And Jesus makes it clear. He gives us the key theological and hermeneutical principle. If the scripture doesn't help you see Jesus more clearly, then you've missed it. That's what he's saying. If, if the word doesn't challenge us to change our paradigms and to lean into new reality, then we've missed it. And this still happens all the time today. Saints, people of God, all right, let me help us. If your reading of scripture validates you breaking quarantine laws so you can attend worship services, you've put your word over the word. Uh, you need some more help. Okay, here we go. If you believe that you're validated in sheltering in someone else's place, i.e. in their bed, when you've not made a covenant before God, then you've misread the word. All right, all right, let me, let me, maybe, let me help. Maybe I'm not getting close enough. If you hold a grudge instead of holding out forgiveness, then you have put the word on the street about how we deal with conflict over the word of God about how we deal with conflict. You see... All of us at different points can, can, can think that we're living and, and relying on God's word, but it's really our own word. One of the things that I watch now and, and binge at different points, there's a, there's some, is a, I don't usually do a lot of reality show, but this one particular one for our family uh, kind of just, we've kind of got addicted. I've mentioned it before, Married at First Sight. The basic premise of the show is these people apply, thousands of people all over the country apply and have experts select them two people who don't know each other at all and they meet as the bride is coming down the aisle. Like literally they don't know who they're about to marry. And then they kind of film them for eight weeks uh, in this process of deciding if they'll stay together or not. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and in it, this season was kind of crazy. And there was a guy in it named Michael now, Michael was someone who there was pretty much one major issue in his marriage. He would lie a lot about jobs, about trips that he was supposed to take or but really wasn't, about his background, inconsistencies and his... At one point, in one moment, they were supposed to be talking about finances and, they, and kind of saying, okay, what do we make so we can create a budget? And he created an offer sheet from a job and lied about his salary. Now, when confronted about it, Michael, why are you lying all the time? What, what, what is it that you're, what's going on? He said, I have developed a certain skill set from needing to live on my own. I don't lie. I just wasn't completely honest. You see, what he was doing was saying, there, there's a certain word that I am depending on and leaning on instead of the word of God. And that's so easy for all of us to do. Now, at the end of the day, this is not ultimately about misinterpretation of scripture. There's something deeper and more sinister at play when we typically do this. And in verse 44, if we skip over to that, Jesus explains and reveals what that deeper issue is. He asks a question. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? He, he says, you know, not only do I, am I not tripping about the fact that you're not validating my ministry or validating my identity, I'm gonna actually ask you, how could you? 
Because the, the ultimate deeper issue, the reason why you've rejected what the Father has said about me, the reason why you've rejected what John the Baptist has said about me, the reason why you rejected what the Bible has said about me is because something is fundamentally wrong. And what that is, is you seek glory from each other instead of glory from God. And the same is true with us. Some of us, we are seeking the glory and the validation of people that, whose worldviews we don't even agree with. They're Pharisees. They, they, they don't even have the same perspective on life and of reality as we do, and yet we're chasing after their validation, even though it means running away from the validation of God. And... Jay-Z helps us with this. He, he, he helps, it's a song that he wrote a, a while ago that, that kind of reveals the source of the Pharisees' issue. He was explaining why, in his song Moment of Clarity from the Black Album, why he decided to not be a conscious rapper. This is what he said. Truthfully, I want to rhyme like common sense, but I did five mil. I ain't been rhyming like common sense. You see, Jay decided to go with made sense because it was more convenient and it was personally more gratifying at the time than what he knew was an inner better truth. And the reality is Jesus is disruptive with us. He, he challenges both the systems of inequality that are out there, but also the ways that we seek validation in here. And as we celebrated last week, we thank God that he didn't just go with what made sense. Instead, he chose to die and rose again for our sins. That was a greater sacrifice. That was a greater weight. But it was also ultimately what he needed to, in order for us to have relationship with him. Validation from people didn't matter. So he could say to Judas, do what you're going to do quickly because I have a greater vision and perspective in mind. Lastly, he kind of sums this up very quickly in verse 41. If you go scroll up a few verses, he says, I do not receive glory from people. I love this verse. It's just very straight up and to the point. I do not receive glory from people. And that is why I am able to stay on mission and not seek validation from any of you. I had to learn this the hard way. When I was in high school, I remember I was a senior and my uh, parents had gone on their anniversary. Now, I had a uh, barber at the time uh, who we had gotten pretty close with. He cut my hair for several years. And when I told him about, you know, the fact that my parents were going to be gone for over a week, he said, you know, <laughs> you're a virgin, dude. And if you do not have sex with a girl this week, you're whack, you're corny, you're less than a man. And I remember this thought entering my head and all of a sudden I had this thing I had to prove, this thing I had to get off of my uh, to-do list in order to seek validation from somebody else. I started making these phone calls, calling people I didn't even know or I hadn't, I mean, hadn't talked to for a long time. 
And I remember somebody finally deciding, okay, I'm going to come out and hang out. And, tr- and me saying things that weren't true just so I could get my agenda accomplished and met. And I remember after that situation when I was confronted and, and just told, you know, you're, you're no better than other guys. In fact, you're worse because you think you're better than them. I realized what the end of validation from the wrong sources led me to hurt myself and other people. Fortunately, it was around that time that I began to start to learn more and hear more about who Jesus was. And when I did, I realized that I did not need to seek validation from any man, and especially from the wrong sources, that I had all the validation in this sense of my identity and my relationship wrapped up with him. He paid it all on the cross. And my, my, my trust in that relationship began to help me to build a new reality, a new sense of validation of being in the right circles of people who would encourage me to treat people the right way and to live according to the scripture and not according to my own understanding. Will we, what will we build our validation on? That's the ultimate question. We're going to build it on something. Ourselves is insufficient. Others with the wrong perspective and worldview, that's not going to work. It's only built on Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the fact that you paid it all, that you're worth our worship, you're worth everything because on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Help us this week build a sense of validation on who you are and whose we are in you, not on ourselves, not on our accomplishments, not on what other people think of us. Let us be founded on the rock. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.